This is the Saturday Morning Serial Podcast with your host, Amanda Ann. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Saturday Morning Serial. I'm Amanda Ann, and today I am so excited to talk about the new Disney Plus series, Monsters at Work, with someone who has worked on it, and this is a show that I can tell a lot of heart and soul went into it, especially as it was made during the pandemic and the shutdown last year when everyone had to work from home. Without further ado, I welcome CalArts alumni and artist Kat Thorson-Good to the podcast. Right. So thank you, Kat, for coming on here and being a guest. And Monsters at Work is such a great sequel to the previous Monsters, Inc. film that came out in 2001. Kat is the supervising director for Monsters at Work, now streaming on Disney+. She also has directed other works at Walt Disney Television Animation, such as Big Hero 6 series. In the past, she has worked with DreamWorks as an artist on films such as Kung Fu Panda, Everest, and Megamind. So Kat, can you talk a little about your journey in this industry? Sure. Um, And first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to get to talk to you um, and your audience. So I wanted to work in animation ever since I was 16. I think it started when I saw on Disney Channel, they were airing this special about the making of Sleeping Beauty, and they showed like that uh, some of the nine old men were painting a tree. I was like, these artists painting a tree. And I think that's when it dawned on me that animation was a job you could have. Um, and I was like, yes, that that's what I want to do. Um, so I was lucky enough to have a high school teacher who, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you're hearing my computer, like notify me about meetings. Um, <laughs> okay. um, but I was, I was happy to have a, a high school teacher who knew about CalArts and um and that they had an animation program there so i um told my parents um in high school after i begged them for the illusion of life for my christmas present um that i wanted to do animation and go to this art school and they looked at me and they said no way are you giving up the scholarships that you've earned you have to go to real school so (laughs) i went to ucsb where they had an animation class in their film department and i just the promise was to my parents, like, I'll take a year of school. And then like, if I still want to do this, then they were going to support me in going to art school. So that's exactly what happened. Um, I went to CalArts after two years at UCSB. During that time at UCSB, I took a bunch of film classes and communication classes and art classes and art history. And I'm really glad I did that. It really helped expand like my understanding of things. Um, But because CalArts was really just like focus on the craft, the craft, the craft, the craft. Um, I graduated and I got my first job at Disney uh, Studios. Um, My first film was on Hercules. And I was there for the next six and a half, seven years. Um, I worked on almost every film that they did during that time period, either in cleanup or in animation. Uh, And in Treasure Planet was my last film. So I got to watch 2D animation die, which was sort of like watching your uncle, your favorite uncle, like, you know, go crazy and disappear. (laughs) And (laughs) it was really tragic and we were all really sad. Um, But that meant kind of having to retool and figuring out, well, what do I do now? And um, I took a story class with Tom Cito at the union and he, at the end of it, was like, Thorson, you're hireable. That was my last name back then. And I was like, thank God, I do not want to have to learn Maya. Um, <sighs> so I applied, I had already applied to DreamWorks and uh, for an animation position. And um, But now I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to be a story person. I want their story test. And I called their recruiter and she was like, oh, I was just about to call you and offer you a position on Sinbad. I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be a story artist. And she's like, Kat stop <laughs> like come in work on Sinbad while you're here you take the story test you're we're basically paying you to take it and I was like oh right foot in the door that's that thing you're supposed to do right <laughs> so um I went over there I worked on Sinbad I worked on the story test at, the, at night I was able to show it to my friends who are in story at DreamWorks and just knock on doors and do all that kind of thing and submitted my test and just waited. And it was kind of crazy because I was then laid off after Sinbad because 2D was 
ending at DreamWorks and Area were shifting over to 3D as well. And I don't know why, but I just felt like this is going to happen. You know, like I, my test is there. I'm going to get this job. It was like really nutty. I think my parents were really afraid for me. Um, but I just had this like knowing. I just, I didn't know how I knew. I just knew. Mm-hmm. And several months later, like they gave me a call and had me come in. And I was at a story trainee on Kung Fu Panda with Jenny, Jenny Nelson. And it was just, it was amazing. I, was at DreamWorks for another 10 years and I didn't expect to be there that long. I think that, you know, I've looked back on that time period and said, like, I never once felt gendered. I never once felt like the girl, oh, isn't it cute that you want to be in animation? Mm -hmm. Like I felt sometimes at Disney. Um, I always felt like I was one of the, one of the story people. There was always other female story artists in the room. There were female directors and heads of story there and it just it was just a really wonderful experience to get to be trained in the craft of storytelling so and and what storyboarding is and um I left there to go to work at Disney TV animation um the guy who what shared my office as a trainee way back when when we got our first jobs at Disney out of college had a show and it was called Pen Zero Part-Time Hero and he really wanted to bring like feature storytelling to TV series. Um, I boarded for him on his first season, and then I directed on the second season of Penn. And what I really loved about Penn was we worked hard, like we pushed hard on that. And um, but everybody like really believed in what we were doing and it was a really tight knit crew. And I got to have a lot of respect for like what series work was and that, and that pace and that pipeline. Um, and just how like, that's your stuff on the screen. Like it features, you could be working on, you know, a movie for four years and you're like, I had one joke that made it. (laughs) Right. But in series, like that's your episode almost shot for shot sometimes up there on screen. So it was very rewarding after 10 years at at feature. And it kind of got hooked a little bit on like just the pace and the speed of like, okay, like you work this story, you work this story, you work this story and you're done, you know? And then like, that's like in six weeks, you know, or maybe eight weeks if you're lucky. And Whereas it features, you're like, it's four years. It's four long years of like, maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this time. So um, I, you know, I really kind of fell in love with the series stuff after Penn. That's when I was on Big Hero 6, the series for part of its first season. I left that to go into development at Disney TV Animation because I had two projects that I was working on with them. Got to find out a little bit about what development hell can feel like sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was there that, you know, the talk of Disney Plus and like making projects for Disney Plus was coming up. One of my projects I was hoping was a, you know, viable candidate for a Disney Plus series. And so when they brought the opportunity of going on to Monsters to me, I, I jumped. I was like, yes, like, you know, development takes a long time, like, but in the meantime, like, maybe I can help build the pipeline here, like, by taking this hybrid thing of what our EP Bob Scanaway wanted was he really wanted to bring the best of feature storytelling that he'd learned over at Disney Toon Studios working on the Planes franchise um, with the Pixar people, like, he wanted to bring that together with working on you know, a TV pipeline. And he'd had many, many years at um, Disney TV animation doing Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Jake and the Neverland Pirates. And so he was, he was really wanting to cut new ground on this hybrid storytelling model. And I was all in, like, I'm like, yes, let's do that. Let's figure out how to do that. I'm excited to see how to bring, you know, feature storytelling um, to a series for the first time. And, and an episodic, it wasn't an episodic series. Well, actually in the beginning, Monsters was conceived as an episodic series. And now, you know, as it developed and it grew over, um, over time, it became an, uh, serialized, which is what you guys are seeing now on screen. Awesome. Well, so, thank yeah, you so like in a nutshell, that's how you know about Monsters. <laughs> And, you know, it's really good to know, too, that, like, these companies are really embracing diversity and making everybody feel like they're just doing the same job. They don't treat anybody differently. That's very important today. Yeah. So that's really, really refreshing to hear. 
And yeah, yet- when I, when I was at Disney TV Animation, like after being ten years at DreamWorks, there when I first started there, there was only three women in story mm-hmm. across eight shows. It was kind of nuts. And so I got really involved with women in animation, which I know one of your questions is like, what do you recommend to people who want to get into business? I'm like, look for groups like women in animation Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, the networking that's possible, the mentorship that's possible, because you really had to like reach out and try to grow talent and bring in new talent because they just weren't represented. And what was so incredible was the leadership that was at Disney TV at the time were really responsive to what I was coming in and saying and noticing was amiss. And within like three years, maybe a really short amount of time, we were at 50-50 across almost every show with, you know, female board talent and, and male board talent looking at not just like the gender divide, but like the ethnic divide and you know, to diverse points of view and lifestyle, ever, all of it, like mm-hmm. all of that came to the table. And, and I'm really, really, really proud to have been part of that mentorship program that they had there and, and of the leadership that was going on at the time to, to really address, you know, the fact that it had been a boys club for a while and mm-hmm. a certain type of boys club for a while. Yeah. It's just so good seeing too, like female directors. I know like Frozen 2 had a female director and uh, just the past Loki series had a female director. So it's really great to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I think that there is a lot of women who came on as my story teams on my story teams um, who I now are, know are directing, they're supervising, directing, they're supervising, producing now at other companies um, or within Disney. It's just really incredible to watch how rapid the growth was and just the opportunities that are now being given um, because it, I think it really pushes storytelling and and having those points of view in the room. And, it, and you have to make it conscious, you know, like when it comes to casting and staffing, like I always look at like, you know, age diversity too, you know, that I want seasoned people, but I want young voices because they're closer to mm-hmm. our audience. <laughs> they probably still have brothers and sisters or like their, their childhood is very different than our, than what ours were. And, um, and, and you want that in the story room for conversations because mm-hmm. it just makes story better and more right. peaceful and more universal. Of course. And you mentioned that you had, you got at an early age, the illusion of life book. Yeah. We yeah. have that too here. And it's such a great book. I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in animation and just the art behind these films. Yeah. I think back then it was like the only thing you could find. I saw it at like the bookstore, the local bookstore in my mall in this small town I was living in. And, um, and I remember seeing it and just being like, oh, what is that? I need that. And then my parents <laughs> got it for me for Christmas. And, yeah. and I was like, I think I carried that thing around in my backpack and like busted its spine <laughs> and <laughs> wore it out. And it was heavy. Like it wasn't like the, the version that you have today is like much thinner. Like they re- did reprints of it. But the original, the original one, which is what I had, it was like, it was meaty. It was heavy. <laughs> yeah, you can do like an arm workout with it. It's, yeah, it's exactly. actually sitting right behind me as we speak. <laughs> like I have scoliosis now because of it. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to move on to our next question. And so how different is it going from being a storyboard artist? And you mentioned you were more into the 2D animation to directing a 10 episode animated series of today. Right. And I know you like, did so, kind of touch upon it. Yeah. So, um, you know, direct the shift from storyboarding to directing in general, whether it's like a 2D show, like if you're a 2D storyboard artist to a 2D show, that's still a big leap, you know, of like mm-hmm. skill sets that you have to, you know, onboard. But I had never worked on a 3D series before. So I, I mean, I obviously storyboarded at features for 3D films, but I hadn't been through the entire pipeline and process until Monsters. So you know, one of the first things I had to do was like, learn to listen, like just learn to listen and ask a lot of questions because they were throwing around jargon that I was like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And like finding like the person I trusted, which was my art director, um, to go into a room privately and be like, please explain to me what that means. Like, I don't understand what geocache is, you know, like, um, 
And, uh, and so, you know, and what that really, I think what directing really meant in a, at the end of the day was learning to delegate and learning to trust that, that you're going to touch every single aspect from storyboard to music, to lighting, to animation, to editorial and cutting the reel and, on Monsters, I directed the actors in the booth, which is unheard of in a series. Like most TV series, you have a voice director come in and you sit in the back and like they interact with the actor and you sort of give your notes to them and then they reframe it and talk to the actor for you. Well, that's not how our EP wanted to run it. He wanted to run this series like you would run a feature and in features, the director is directing the talent. And so that's what we were going to do. And it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the first few times was terrifying. Um, but later I got used to it. And because of the like generous help of like our engineer, Paul McGrath and our EP, Bob Scanaway and my editor, uh, Dan Molina, like they were so generous with helping me like get my sea legs in that room and feel confident in that room um that it became one of my favorite things to do obviously like um to 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 see the ad-libs and like the things that would come alive later with the actors um so i think that that was unique to the monsters experience on a series um if i go back to like directing on pen and big hero six you know like i a lot of directing a series is juggling you know, like being really good at juggling. You have three to five episodes going on at a time in various stages. They're either on boards or an animatic or getting ready to ship. Um, you're managing two or three board teams. You're interacting with the art team. You're doing layout. You're meeting in, with writers. There, you're in monsters. We were recording actors. Uh, you're working your animatic with your editor. So. On Monsters, we invented this other thing called 3D scouting, which meant that we were laying out every single one of our episodes here um, in LA with uh, four guys who were were incredible storytellers just with a 3D camera in our sets. And that allowed us to cut the episodes all over again. You know, so we're actually in real space, which was so amazing because it allowed our boards to sort of focus on character and story. But then we had this secondary level of like seeing the boards translated into 3D space and then choosing camera and talking about camera with them and then cutting that in real time back into the real. And that's what we sent to our vendor studio. Um, I think that, you know, directing is just being really good at juggling all of those plates. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. you have to be a really good multitasker. Yeah. Um I think that, you know, there was, you have to be good at collaborating and listening to your team and taking moments for your own mental health. I think that there's just really ultimately relying on the people who are around you to be good at their jobs and to be professional and to create a safe, creative working environment where they can do their best so that you're just shepherding them. And I think at the end of Monsters, I mean, like we were, you know, having to say goodbye after first season because we didn't have a second season green light yet. Um, you know, as we're offboarding our talent, I mean, every single one of them, it was just like, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, I my name's on, you know, up front as supervising director, but like, I couldn't do this without every single one of them firing at like on all cylinders and just bringing the best of their own a game and their ideas to the table. So, um, I, I find that to be really rewarding. Um, and, and I actually enjoy being on this side Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than knee deep into boards. Actually. Um, it meant it, there was a point where I'm like, I gave up drawing. Like I'm not drawing as much as I used to, Mm -hmm. um, cause I'm in a thousand meetings and, um, And it was also really strange to be the person that everybody turned to, like, like I'm the decider. (laughs) There was a day when I was like, why is everyone looking at me? Oh, wait, I'm the the decider. Okay, I must decide now, you know. And I think that, you know, I love, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's book Lean In for this because I I had to be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Like, it feels awkward and weird, but I'm going to be the decider now. 
people. Um, and just really owning that part of my journey. And I think also like what directing taught me was like how much of the craft I'd been given by other people, you know, like that I'd been trained in this craft and not only to appreciate the champions along the way of my career, but also to um, recognize that I, what I did know, you know, like that I didn't know what I knew and, and having to articulate it and, and give my opinion and, and talk about how I thought that that scene should be animated or like, you know, snap, you know, or timing or all these different aspects of the craft. I'm like, Oh wait, like, that's because like you were working with so-and-so on this scene from that movie ages ago. And like, that's where you learned this, you know, Mm -hmm. and now I want it like that, you know, (laughs) for this show. I, so I just, I, I think like, it's really, um, just an incredible opportunity to get to do it. And, uh, yeah. So I, and I think the difference with storyboarding ultimately is storyboarding you get to put on your headphones you know bring visuals to life you know and just kind of immerse yourself in a scene and try to bring the written word to visual you know visual life Mm -hmm. and that's such a awesome creative process too you know but it's sort of like you know you're really close to it and you're living and breathing it and it's performance based and all of that stuff um and it's caring and putting your heart on the sleeve and it's problem solving and all these other things directing is like that like a thousand times with a bunch of spinning plates um but I think you do have to like kind of lean into like emotional IQ and leadership and being good at like you know leading other people and helping them with their own creative process Mm -hmm. as well yeah, and we can I can definitely tell too. There's just so much heart and soul that has been poured into this series and you can see it on screen. So, but very well done. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, you the Monsters crew and the team that worked on it, like they just are amazing and incredible and some of my most favorite people and I'm just so incredibly proud of them and what you know, from LA to Icon, right? From the the group at Disney down here in LA to the group up at Icon, like the amount of love that you, I know all of them poured in, especially because since we did most of production during COVID, like it's, and we're all in our homes doing this stuff. It's pretty humbling and really, I just couldn't be more proud. So thank you for, for that. Sure, of course. And you did mention that you did work with some of the voice actors. Did you work with like the great Billy Crystal and John Goodman? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so they were definitely, you know, they're all the original voices came back from the movie. So like Billy Crystal and John Goodman, um, Jennifer Tilly as was there as Celia, Bob Peterson as Rose. Uh, they all, you know, I think if they were in the original, they were, the, they showed up, right? And um, in the in the movies, and John and Billy were just amazing. Like, I got to watch Billy sing for one of my episodes. It was like so cool, and like That's just awesome. like I'm like I'm in the room with the guy who's doing the hair in the tie. How is it going right now? Like, um, and then and also just Princess Bride. I mean, how is how am I in the room with Miracle Max? What is right? Um, and he's just so kind and generous and. John, John Goodman, my gosh, like there was a day where I had to, we were recording him on my daughter's birthday. And I was a little bit like, I'd like to take the day off for my daughter, but we're recording instead. And so like, I bet like, like at the very end of the recording, I was just like, can I mention that it's my daughter's birthday? And he's like, and like, would he like say hi to her? And so he did, he like got on the mic and like wished her happy birthday in Sully's voice and Paul like cut it and sent it to me and I got to play it for her. And it's like one of my favorite little like, like gem moments of, uh, of the series is that I have Sully saying like, um, happy birthday to my daughter. And it's just really special because she's autistic. So, um, like it would, yeah, it was just, uh, he's such a, it it was just such a warm, generous, amazing team. It may him, all of them, like Mm -hmm. Henry Winkler. Oh my gosh. Like we love him. He's such a warm, sweet guy. Like, uh, and he was such a delight and so kind to me. And I mean, here he's in Barry and I'm like directing him behind the mic. And he's like, you're doing great. I'm like, what? I just like, I don't even know if I should be telling you what to do. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then like, and even like our, our whole new cast, I mean, Ben Feldman has directed before. And so he was just so committed and like, you know, he'd really want to rework line, you know, until he got it right to his own satisfaction many times. And Lucas Neff is hilarious. I, I, I think I stepped in the early days when we were in person, um, I stepped on some of his lines cause I'd be in the room with him and he would just ad lib and I'd start laughing so hard that I'd step on it. Sometimes I'd be like, I'm sorry, I have to learn how to laugh without like making sounds. And, um, Alana Ubach. Oh my goodness. She was the voice of mama Imelda and Coco and she's the voice oh. of Cutter. And she is one of the funniest, fiercest, like, amazing strong women and she's so talented she's also a lot of other voices on the on the series um she's just so multi-talented and mindy's amazing and generous and funny and she's so eager to be like come in and play with us and it was just such a great cast and and how much like they embraced and owned their characters and helped to bring them to life as well was really cool yeah, it seems like to like voice actors, especially with a big name like Disney and Pixar attached to it too, they have nothing but respect for the studios. And that's really special too for like you guys because they want you guys to succeed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like it was so sad because before COVID, Billy and John were really looking and we were really looking forward to getting them in the booth together, you know, and like. They were so excited to finally have an opportunity to come back and hang out as Mike and Sully because we have this booth where they can both, one's in one room, one's in another room, and they can feed off of each other for lines. And we were so looking forward so to like cool. that happening. But then COVID happened and we're oh, like, okay, yeah. I guess it's not a thing anymore. But, you know, who knows? Maybe in the future they'll yeah. get to do it. But it's it's really awesome. I, I think like we were really lucky that – originally and I know one of your questions was about the guidance from Pixar we were originally like not going to have them in the series um and as the show evolved in development like it just kind of kept you know Pixar kept saying to us like it feels like you want to be at Monsters Inc and we're Mm -hmm. like well we're trying to tell this story that's in Monstropolis you know sort of like Monsters Adjacent and they're like we're really feels like you want to be at Monsters Inc and we're like do we can we is that okay with you and then like I don't know the hands were shook and agreements were made and it was like yes we're gonna tell the story at Monsters Inc and that meant we had you know Mike and Sully around um awesome so yeah that was really great and I yeah I just I can't say what a dream that was to get to be part of this story it's it's one of my favorite Pixar movies I can remember when my niece was born she was two years old when it came out and she looked like boo like someone like literally stopped her and my sister in target and was like and pointed at her and goes boo like another little kid and so like i was that movie came out when my sister had her first kid and i hadn't had my own yet and it was just so important to our family in many ways and then like all these years later to be like how am i working on this thing right (laughs) and like people like my age, like I'm in, you know, well, in my thirties too, it's, we grew up with these films and Monsters Inc. is a staple. And that leads into my next question here. We are introduced to the characters from the previous films. Like you mentioned, Mike Sully, we even see the Abominable show up. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a red carpet for these older characters, but you also introduce these new characters, Ty, Val, Fritz, and the Myth crew and incorporating a new story with these characters and interwining like interactions with the older characters. So in, can you just uh, touch upon how the Pixar team kind of guided your team at the Disney Televi- Television Animation Studio with the storytelling? And uh, just you, you mentioned that you were going to have like a completely different like Monstropolis, you said, with like mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah, so you guys kind of came together with that. Mm-hmm, yeah. So so the property was originally brought to um, to Disney. I don't remember the original um person who pitched the idea but it was brought to disney channel for a preschool series uh originally and it was going to be about a construction family that lived of monsters that lived in monstropolis and and then you know development is its own beast and things evolve as stories grow and disney plus was coming online and they tapped bob's ganaway uh to 
take, make a take on the, on the show. And what he ended up coming up with was a story of, uh, of a, of a young guy who, a young monster whose family business was, uh, running construction, you know, and that they ended up, um, winning a bid to do some work at the factory at Monsters, Inc. And that's sort of how it tied into Monsters, Inc. And we're kind of like exploring what it was like to be someone who like secretly longed to work at Monsters, Inc., but your dad has this construction company and you're expected to take it over, right? You're supposed to take over the family business, but that's not where your heart is. So realistic. And um, so we took, you know, so the process would be like, we would take, we would write and like, we would come up with ideas and, 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 um, episodes and what the series is and who the characters are and how they all fit together. And we'd take it up and do presentations up to Pixar and they, you know, would have Pete Doctor and Bob Peterson and Kelsey Mann, people from the original movies um, in the room and just have creative powwows around it. And, you know, we'd kick around ideas. And I think that's where like very early on, they were like, you know, it kind of feels like you want to be a Monsters, Inc. And that would make it kind of a workplace comedy. Right. And like, and I remember we were having lunch and Pete started talking about like the people that you don't see, you know, like Pixar's a giant studio and like, but the place wouldn't run if it wasn't for their facilities team. Right. Mm -hmm. And the people that you don't pay attention to and that, you know, it was pretty clear that like we very early on, like Boo's, Boo was hands off and Bob, Bob's has talked about this and in, in a lot of press and stuff. Um, Boo was hands off because that's a sacred relationship, you know, with the audience and, um, and Pete. And he felt like, you know, that should be allowed for the imagination of the audience to, to own that, what happened next. Right. So very, so with that, you know, our group was saying like, well, okay, like we're coming up now with the story of this guy who, you know, thinks he's wants to be one thing and ends up having to be another. And it, it felt like, well, as time went on, we needed to be closer and closer to the end of like scare energy. And when laugh energy started, like what, what was the most intriguing time in that timeline would be when things change, you know, times of change is the most intriguing time. So the biggest moment of change is when they have to shift from scare energy to laugh energy, when you have to move from one way of being to another way of being and all the things that might change around that. And so we began to weave a new, a new story in that area and like who would have the hardest time. And that, and a story came up around like when 2d animation died at, and that's how I frame it. Sorry. <laughs> at Disney TV animation. Cause that's what it felt like. Um, when the transition moved from 2D to 3D, like I wanted to be a 2D animator. I didn't want to be a 3D animator. So what was I going to do now? How was I going to reinvent myself? How was I going to keep working? Well, I was fortunate and found a way into continuing to work by being a board artist because I could still draw and tell stories that way. Um, there, you know, so what happens when you've spent your whole life training, going to school for one thing, and then you get to that place and you think, you know, you're about to show up and your dream is going to happen and you find out it's been canceled. It's done. Mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't exist anymore. Like, how do you reinvent yourself? Like, what, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be resilient and find a new way? Or are you going to go back home and move in with mom and dad? Like, what are you going to do? And um, we, we thought that that was a really good hook and like really truthful and um, something worth exploring. And that sort of unlocked um, the new direction for the series. Uh, Pixar, you know, they, they really they came in and they looked, they would look at some screenings and, you know, some of their senior leadership would look at screenings or we would send scripts up to them in the early days, but very quickly, like it became like, you guys are doing great, like hands off, you know, um, out of courtesy, we would send stuff up to them and like get feedback and things like that. But for the most part, once we knew the direction of this series, it was pretty hands off. Um, and you know, the only thing that we were really told was just, you can't have boo. <laughs> <laughs> the only directive. Um, yeah. No boo. <laughs> no boo. Sorry, guys. No boo. Um, and, you know, I think also, like, 
one of the things that was really cool about finding the new direction for Tyler, you know, and watching him fumble his way through as he discovers his real purpose and dream and what he was really good at, um, was also like, what, what's really important. And we kept seeing these, these common themes, like in the story room, where you talk about like how the longer you're at your job and like, yes, you grow your craft and you've been doing this and you are at a studio and you're chasing like the shiny object, which is like this particular project. Like there's always a project that's like the project everybody wants to work on. Mm -hmm. But sometimes as you grow, you realize like maybe it's not so much about the shiny object, the the beautiful, pretty project, but it's about the people. Of course. And Mm -hmm. that maybe there's this film, this other film at the studio that isn't getting all the shiny buzz or whatever, but the people on it are really amazing mm-hmm. and like they're really cool and they're part of your family. And, and, you know, going back to what you said about seeing the love on screen, like it's something that I learned, you know, growing up in the business is that you can tell, you can tell on screen how well people who worked on that particular movie or, or, or show liked each other. Cause Absolutely. I think it shows up. Mm-hmm. I think that you can tell when I was on Kung Fu Panda, I was like, that movie was made by a family. And their love for the characters and each other shows up on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's other shows where I'm like, not as successful because like there was, you know, not as a, as a successful, you know, coming together of a team mm-hmm. around that story. And um, and I think like you can feel the love that the artists have that they pour into a project and um, and it translates directly to the audience. So mm-hmm. I, I, I love it when that happens. You know, it doesn't always happen, but I, I think it's magic when it does. Yeah, of course. Uh, going on to my next question here. Uh, animation in general has come such a long way with technology and now streaming services are a hot commodity, especially during this past year. You had mentioned uh, that Monsters at Work was created last year during the pandemic, and your team had been collaborating with the animators at Icon Creative Studios in Vancouver, Canada. What challenges did you all have in the overall creation of this series, and was anything changed story-wise because like, maybe the pandemic had like an influence in it or anything like that? Yes, I can say from a story standpoint, nothing changed. Like, the the... the the scripts were the scripts, the animatics were the animatics, like the story we wanted to tell was a story we're going to tell. I don't believe that like, that there was any technology reasons or things like that, that the pandemic affected that would have changed the story we, we have told. Um, How we got it to the screen was a whole other thing. I think that like, you know, in the early days, I mean, like everyone, it was pretty like, oh my gosh, how are we going to get this done? You know, and we just have, amazing problem solvers in our IT departments and and our production staff who just found ways to get hardware in people's hands and software so that we could do editing online and a lot of Zoom, discovering the power of Zoom. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think that, you know, we were really just finding our way through in those early months. I mean, we also didn't think we were going to spend 18 months, you know, doing it this way. We thought, we'd be back in the studio and we weren't going to have to, you know, do lighting reviews on our computers that aren't color correct. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I got to say from, from like what was challenging was lighting reviews on a non-color correct monitors and having one person have a color correct monitor and us saying like, does it look right to you? And our art director being like, yeah, I think it's okay. But then we get, I was watching um, Little Monsters the other day with my kids, and I'm like, "Is my TV off? Because that that light from the door shutter <laughs> shaft was supposed to be red, and it looks really hot pink, you know." And yeah. and uh, and I think we we're also like, "Yeah, we couldn't really see on our on our little laptops like the texture on that model, and it's like, hmm, it's okay, but wow, that's not what I thought I was seeing, you know." Mm-hmm. And I, so I think like it's that kind of stuff that the final is not what you think you're going to see. Right, right. Um, that were just technical challenges. There's obviously like, you know, upload, uploading files and how long that takes and things oh, that we were definitely yeah. like, it wouldn't be like this if we were at the studio. And um, editing, like editing such a, 
a, a, a collaborative thing where you're sitting in the room with the editor and you're trying things and cutting things in the moment and you're used to being around each other. And I think getting used to doing that and having the same creative vibe when your kids are like in the other room fighting was kind of hard. Um, my very first, oh, this is my very first animation launch to Icon was in my bedroom. I had a live mic. I had to talk for an hour to 40 strangers I'd never met. And my daughter was having a meltdown because she couldn't be in the room with me. And they could hear everything oh, no. that was going on behind the scenes. And I'm like, I have a hot mic. I can't mute it. I can't turn it off right now. And I was just sort of like, welcome to what it's like. Oh, no. <laughs> um, she does not understand why she can't have mommy right now. Right. right. Um, so I think that, you know, those those types of things were really humbling <laughs> and also just a lot of grace, you know, like, but at the same time, like we would always say, like, it's so cool. We get to see like where you live and like see peek into each other's lives in a way that we might not have shared and shown with each other um, oh, yeah. pre pandemic. Um, I also think that like when I was looking at your question earlier that like you know, one of the things that really became important um, on a personal level and on, you know, for my team too was, and to be mindful of my team was mental health, mm. you know, just really, how are we managing the burnout? How are we managing the anxiety and, you know, or depression or the stress or the loneliness that anybody could be going through at any given moment and just having a lot of grace around, you know, if a deadline slipped or someone was struggling to get something turned in on time or, you know, just technology issues, you know. Just, right, of course. <laughs> I mean, making sure that you were taking time, you know, for yourself mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the watching the lines blur between work and home and, you know, making hard outs for yourself and, and um, you know, when you're in a crunch, that's often hard, it, it, even when you're in studio but I think it was really important from a company standpoint and an individual um show standpoint and just as an individual yourself you know to to have those check-ins with yourself and be aware of what was going on you know and checking in with each other this is just so impressive how this especially like the the show amongst other like movies and television shows were made at home during the pandemic and it's just so cool yeah i gotta say like really early on the animation community at large was like we are very very lucky mm -hmm. that the way we make things um easily transition to this because every, you know most of the studios all the studios you know eventually were able to find these pipelines for themselves and keep people employed and we knew that that wasn't the case for so many people right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, we just feel a little yeah, lucky. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you did say earlier, like networking, getting into like a group that you have common interests with. Uh, but can you offer any advice for an individual who wishes to pursue a career, whether that's in storyboarding, animation or directing? Right. Yeah. So, you know, first I would say, like, don't give up. You know, like, you got to be tenacious. You know, I wrote, like, like Tyler, tenacious Tyler, double T. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think, like, you know, never giving up. Like, if I, it's the Wilkie quote of, if you must write, you will write. You know, like, if, if it's in you, if the, if the spark is in you, you must follow it and, like, and just keep, keep at it and don't give up. Um, I think always be willing to learn the craft. You know, like when you start out in this business, it's, you know, a lot to learn. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to grow and, and, ha but as you grow in this business, that never changes, you know, we're always like chasing like that perfect line <laughs> to draw that perfect line of dialogue to write. I think that, you know, the ability to be curious, to listen, to learn is really what helps people grow and, and keep, employed like there's getting employed and then there's also staying employed right mm -hmm. so um leaving your ego at the door and and always being teachable um that is hand in hand with playing play, making sure that like you're someone who plays nice in the sandbox 
animation is an incredibly collaborative art form incredibly collaborative and you just have to know how to have like some you know healthy social skills of dealing with other humans and how to take notes and what the biggest thing about story is like you're a problem solver and your your art isn't seen by the public that like it's not it's throwaway art it's just to communicate ideas and to be clear um, eventually it's going to get sent overseas and someone's going to animate it, whether it's 2d or 3d and it, no one never sees your drawings, you know? So your drawings are actually just ideas and you, to be willing to not, you know, there's something that we always tell each other, the age old like animation lesson of like, be willing to kill your darlings, you know, and, and not falling in love with the drawing. If you fell in love with the drawing, pin it on your wall, you know, <laughs> but it might not be the solution, right? It might be a solution for a time being, but a lot of times storyboarding is reboarding and they often say that too in, in school and in classes that, so you got to be willing to like try and try again. And, and that's where the tenacity and grit comes into. Um, I also know like for, for people today, like young people today wanting to get an animation, like it's never been in a more incredible time. You guys have things that I didn't have, like the internet. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I think the internet existed, like, it, like it's infancy <laughs> when I was in art school. But you guys have, like, all these artists out there who have their blogs and are posting their storyboards and have online classes and, like, animation mentor and magazines and, and festivals and all, like, animation festivals all over the place. Like, there's so much that you can, across the world, you know, reach out to and immerse yourself in and, you know, reach out to other artists through different forums and feed yourself and, and grow your talent. And there's so many more schools than just CalArts. I, I remember years ago going down to Miami-Dade and they had this huge animation program down there and they had scholarships for like people who couldn't necessarily even afford college so that they were helping to push diverse voices, right? And, and they have a start to finish production studio down there. There's just so many more places where you can learn the craft these days. Um, and then that also goes hand in glove with like technology being abundant. There's Toon Boom and Harmony and things that you can buy off the shelf and Photoshop subscriptions where you can be learning and growing and making your own films at home and putting that film on YouTube and who knows what happens, you know, and student, student Oscars and all that kind of stuff. And that ties into like your story matters. You know, as you said before, like the studios are reaching out more so than ever and recognizing that we need to tell diverse stories and how many stories are out there that have never been heard. That's excellent advice, Kat. Thank you so much for that. So finally, who is your favorite character in Monsters at Work and why? Oh, this is a hard one. So I'm going to caveat this by saying, I love Fritz so much. I this love is Fritz. So the answer is going to be painful to say, I love Fritz so much. I love Duncan, but <laughs> my favorite character has to be Cutter. Yeah. I just, I mean, the like, she <laughs> I was writing down, what is it do I love about her? And I was like, well, Maybe this is stuff that I want to know about myself or like lean into for myself, which is like, she doesn't give a crap what people think. She's comfortable in her own skin, knows who she is, and is happy doing what she loves. Yes. You know, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty impressive. That's why I love her because I'm probably working on all of those things personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all so relatable, the characters. And Fritz is adorable. Every time he comes on my TV, I go, oh, it's Fritz. <laughs> I know. I think the, I think somewhere out there in the world, there will be a plushie. And we always said, like, we need a Fritz plushie so bad. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. I would totally yeah. buy that yeah. up. That and everyone, Val, Tyler. Oh, we need Michael the Val actually. neck pillow. Yeah. 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 We pitched oh, that early God. on. I want a Val neck pillow. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'll be first in line for that. <laughs> I work at a desk all day, so neck pillows are my thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I want I want a Val neck pillow. I definitely want that. I want I want Tyler Tussman ears at Disneyland. Yes. <laughs> Where you're just gonna like knock people out left and right because yes. they're so long. <laughs> that that's a good social distancing practice, right? Oh my goodness, they should totally do that. It'll keep yeah. people. Yes, yeah, keep that social distance in line at Disneyland. <laughs> right. Exactly. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much, Kat, for coming on. Oh, this you're was welcome. a great this interview. Really wonderful to do. Thank you so yeah, much. So I'm much so happy fun. to get to talk about the journeys and like the lessons learned and yeah. And, and like I said, like um monsters, like there's there's a couple things that I worked on at DreamWorks that I really like my favorite years there was um working with a, a set of guys on a couple of their holiday specials and I look back at those years. I'm just like, we just had a good time. It was so creative and we were just such good people on our team and we were a family and it was awesome. And it's taken a long time to have that feeling again. And I think that like monsters was that from top to bottom, the crew, the, the cast that we have, the icon team and how they killed it Mm -hmm. to make it look like the movie, you know, like, I just think like for, the pipeline that we were on and every obstacle we had in our way with COVID. It's just something I just feel so much joy and pride looking at and watching with my kids. Yeah. Your, your guys' hard work really shows. So my hat's off to you and your whole team. And yeah, it's so cute. <laughs> and I just want to give a shout out to, to my director, uh, Shane Zalvin, who is my right hand man and the other uh, supervising team. It was Steve Anderson and Caitlin Ritter and, they there some of their episodes are the funniest ones like they make me laugh so hard and i didn't oh, yeah. i didn't live and breathe their episodes you know because we were there were two teams doing two sets we worked together in many ways so that they all felt the same like and that we were in connection with each other but um man bad hair day i was mm-hmm. crying just crying laughing and the scene where the secret room love it that was both of those were their episodes and just so so funny yeah we totally understood the big wazowski reference too so that was a treat yeah 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 well thank you kat so much for coming on like i said it was a pleasure thank you man i'm back at you all right and with that i hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed that interview it was just such a great insightful inspiring conversation I did have with Kat and I personally took a lot away from what she had to say so please check out Monsters at Work now streaming on Disney Plus and next week we will be reviewing Shang-Chi which will be in theaters on Thursday I believe and it'll just be so exciting to see another Marvel film in theaters again so I will catch you then